0: Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable.
1: Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. This is a special Canadian federal election version of our roundtable. And uh, to join me, none other than Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome.
2: Hello, Matt. Happy Friday. How are you today?
1: I'm good. I'm excited to talk energy and politics. Two of my favorite topics to uh, to speak um, about a lot, maybe not sensically, but uh, <laughs> let's get into it for our, uh, our U.S. listeners, this will be a glimpse into the uh, Canadian federal energy policy landscape and uh, our um, parliamentary system, multi-party influenced by the Brits. Um, and uh, for our Canadian listeners, hopefully this is a value and I'm going to let Lisa drive most of it, she's going to talk through from an article, some policy statements, and and I'm just going to kind of respond uh, as we go. So, Lisa, the floor is yours. Thank you for for digging this up and thank you for leading us through this.
2: You're most welcome. Well, I was actually I was looking through uh, for basically an article that would focus on kind of comparing the parties just for my own purpose, right? Because, I mean, there's been so much movement and kind of different uh, discussions kind of circulating around the news lately, I thought, well, i got to be a little more uh, up to speed on this. So anyways, this particular article, well, it's more of a blog post, actually, and it's from Smart Prosperity Institute, and it's titled Election 2021, a Comparison of Climate Policy and Federal uh, Party Platforms. Um, There are several topics of discussion, so this will be the only article that Matt and I will focus on today because it'll take a big uh, chunk of time. Um, and I guess I'll start by uh, talking about some of the comparisons with emission targets, since that's you know a pretty big one. Um, so I'm gonna try not to read too, too much from here, but at the same time, in order to cover everything, I think I might have to. So uh, the Liberals are promising a 40 to 45% emissions reduction, which is aligned with the current Paris target, which was revised in April. The NDP will be going further, promising a 50% emissions reduction by 2030. And the Greens promise a 60% emissions reduction by 2030. Throughout this, the Greens are not really kind of focused on, but nonetheless, that is part of that particular uh, segment. And then the Conservatives, meanwhile, have promised to meet Canada's past Paris target of 30% emissions reductions, indicating a rollback of Canada's current target. That's Mm. the first one.
1: Okay. So you got just to recalibrate for those who aren't familiar you have kind of moving right to left on the political spectrum you have the conservative party uh you have the liberals kind of in the middle they are the incumbent they called this election and then we have the new democratic party the ndp and uh, on the left on the very far left kind of generally speaking we have the green party whose mandate is is climate um they have a small representation in parliament um, the the liberals in the middle have kind of an incumbent minority government, and then we have um, the we also have a um, a, um, a party uh, only in Quebec, but they're obviously not in this article. I guess they're mostly they're not a federal party really. They're just focused in the province of Quebec. So uh, as expected, I think you kind of have uh, on the it, it falls kind of in line. You have the conservatives scaling back a little bit, presumably because of how they feel that, you know, envir- environmental targets, emissions targets would impact industry and growth. Um, the Liberals kind of staying the course, and then, and then the NDP and the Greens on the left um, pushing it. Um, the reality is, I think all of them are aggressive targets. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, I mean, yes, you need to set the target. And then the question is, what what are they going to do to underpin that and help us you know, drive innovation and drive investment so that we get towards that? That's the real the real key question, which I mean, they're not gonna answer in a campaign, but that will be the new government that's formed. How are we gonna move towards that? That's my, yeah. my thought on that.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think the policy is a big thing. And I think the other piece that they don't touch on with each of these different kind of uh, topics or areas we're gonna get into today, they don't really talk about what the effect is of cost, right? I mean, just when you think about it from a business perspective, you can easily say, oh, CM wants to open an office in maybe Africa or I don't know, Europe, but there's a cost that's associated with that. So, you know, what does that look like? And, and as voters, sometimes we're missing that element, right? Unless uh, we're really digging into stuff and can kind of see what people are are talking about there. So uh, the next one is climate industrial strategy. Um, I would say that the Liberals and Conservatives are probably close to the equal here, but I'll I'll, I'll go through it. So the Liberals have pledged $8 billion to a net zero accelerator to make strategic investments in domestic net zero firms. In the last budget, the Liberals also announced their intention to create an investment tax credit for new carbon capture utilization and storage projects. Of course, that topic is really hot right now, um, as well as new hydrogen projects to uh, crowd investment uh, in these into these sectors. And then the party has also placed a specific bet on the extraction of battery minerals, committing $36.8 million in the last budget to build production and refinery capacity. And then, though the policies are unreleased, the NDP has committed to establishing a national industrial strategy to build up a low carbon manufacturing sector in Canada. Um, and it looks like the party platform has also highlighted a strategy that's focused on procurement to develop the clean sector, And then the Conservatives have set their sights on small modular reactors, otherwise known as SMRs, as a sector for development, pledging a billion dollars to help research and deploy the technology in Canada. Uh, CCUS is also a high priority for the Conservatives with $5 billion earmarked to support research and development in the sector, part of which will be to form CCUS project tax credits and then it goes on to continue to say the promote uh the bioenergy economy the conservatives also plan to make the use of wood waste and ag- agricultural waste streams eligible for carbon credits where carbon neutral
1: ah now we're talking yeah so before you got to that last point i was going to say that the uh the liberals kind of have the leg up here because this is something they've rolled out It it is a plan i mean you said the numbers they, you know, they all resonated with me as familiar numbers. And we know that the $1.5 billion, you know, clean fuels fund is in motion. And ironically, the submission date is like days after the election happens. And so, you know, in terms of, you know, some momentum around something real and something tangible, like, I think the leg up is there. Um, But at the end, when you talk about the conservative stance, you got me on the bioenergy piece, of course, my first love, (laughs) as listeners know, on the biogas side. And so, you know, really, I think, getting and i think they talk about that getting this you know getting protocols national protocols around carbon you know carbon reduction carbon you know capture strategies that the industry that can drive behavior i think that's the key of government here is let's get a protocol for this stuff and then private industry and large industry—they will drive. Everybody's moving that way. Just give us the tools and the framework. It, you know, yes, some incentivization on newer technologies is good. Give us the framework so that we can roll and and do these projects ourselves uh, and yeah. just stay out of the way, right? So um, we'll we'll see. I I think on this one though, I do have to give the leg to the the liberals um and i'm uh, going to calgary next week this will probably you know come back to haunt me But i got <laughs> to the liberals because of you know the, the incumbency piece and they are starting to make steps towards this
2: yeah exactly and and i i kind of agree i mean they're uh, you know in, in my mind they're sort of side by side maybe with the liberals taking a bit of a lead there and you know as far as the ndp goes as far as i'm concerned you know they just they haven't really started to identify what technologies are really going to be put in place they haven't really committed to things as you know the policy details are unreleased So um, yeah, I think the Liberals and the Conservatives are definitely trekking ahead there. Um, The next one is called Clean Export Strategy. I think from what I can read, almost all the parties are generally aligned here, Uh, but again, I'll review it. So the Liberals have committed to $21.3 million over five years to help Global Affairs Canada promote the export of Canadian clean tech. The Conservatives are emphasizing boosting the uh, liquefied natural gas or LNG sector as well as promoting the export of Canadian uranium and nuclear technology. And then contrast with all of this, the NDP who would promote Canada's forestry sector um, and improve market access for added value wood products as an export oriented climate aligned growth area. All three parties are agreeing on the importance of Canada's aluminum sector. Um, the Conservatives Platforms highlights the, the potential that Canada has to export low emissions intensity aluminum abroad. While the NDP focuses on the potential to for import substitution of in government procurement. Um, and yeah, that's essentially. And then the Liberal government announced a $20 million investment in, I'm not sure how you actually pronounce this, if it's actually Elias or if it's just uh, the letters L-Y, uh, sorry, E-L-Y-S-I-S to research and commercialize zero carbon aluminum. So, it looks like aluminum is is you know a big um, a big topic in terms of the export strategy. Um, is sort of what this piece is kind of really touching on, i think.
1: yeah, and and I, I think you know we we I, I don't know the oil and gas space as well as maybe I should. I mean, we're blessed with a lot of resources, oil and gas, forestry, uh, you know a large opportunity with you know large renewables in. In wind and solar and hydroelectric, um, how do we figure out how to export this? E- energy is is with with the exception of oil and gas, is hard to export. But you know, with that you mentioned LNG, like that's really really exciting. How do we get that going? Um, you know, is hydrogen something that's you know energy dense enough that we can figure out how to export that? Um, and then you know, the big one to me is is this you know technology export. How can we take you know Hydrogenics, you know, Canadian company, go back to CANDU Reactor, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, folks in between, uh, you know, many people that I'm likely not going to uh, remember, but how do we export that know-how, and that's really where we're going to drive jobs and we're going to drive value to the Canadian economy, is exporting, you know, what's one thing, the resources, but exporting the technology and the know-how, that's big.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, okay, so the next one is zero emission vehicles, otherwise known as the ZEV market. So I think for the most part, you'll probably notice the Liberals are probably running ahead here than it's NDP and Conservatives. Um, but basically, the Conservatives require are requiring that 30% of light duty vehicles sold in Canada by 2030 will be ZEVs. The Liberals have set a more aggressive target requiring 50% rather than the 30% of all passenger vehicles, not just light-duty vehicles, by uh, ZEVs by 2030. And then the NDPs, um, they've not set a 2030 target. They would require that 100% of new car sales be ZEVs by 2035. Um, And so the Liberals have set a more aggressive 2035 target, requiring that the sale of all new passenger vehicles by ZEVs by 2035, not just cars and then the conservative platform does not have zev target or a commitment for 2035
1: so, uh, so that is to clarify zev is zero emission. zero
2: emission vehicle that's right so think of you know your electric power cars you think of you know you could be hydrogen cars as well right from from that close kind of fuel sources um i will say that what's interesting about this particular thing you know this particular uh, subject is you and I and a lot of our listeners know, you know that as more electrification happens, we start to have maybe get into more electric vehicle cars. We still have to build a, you know, um, there, there, we we have to have the the capabilities of charging all of those vehicles, right? We have to have the infrastructure. And so, what like somebody on the outside of our our sector, our business might look at that and say, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, this is this is great, but there are some there's some pros and cons to that, right? Like. We already know that when some of the nuclear refurbishments take place we're going to be power short and i think that i don't know if that number has changed but it was about 2000 megawatts give or take um so so you know what effect will it have you know we're talking about you know 2030 here right like we're not talking about you know 2040. so because everything's still a little bit unclear with the iso in terms of where some of that extra power is going to come from and they've got some kind of ideas but you know because that's not clear, this makes me a little bit more nervous because I'm thinking, well, now you're adding all of that, you know that yeah you're adding additional load there. And so it sounds good, but there are other repercussions in the system that we have to be thinking about.
1: yeah, I guess my question is, and I think some of the some of the policies read tax incentives or rebates, you know to me, the thing is, you know that that market is is going to come. and I, I think we're beyond the early adopter stage. I don't think we really need to drive a lot of money into that market because, we're at the point now where at a dollar more, um, you know, more than a dollar a liter of diesel. Um, you know, you have the, the the more, you know, the heavier duty stuff. It makes sense just on economics alone, right? Um, so I, And on the EV side, the same is true, right, that the prices continue to come down. So you know, I agree with you, there's some technical barriers to solve, but I think this is, you know, driving you know adoption of this widespread through government intervention to me just doesn't make sense like yes it's good to have targets and figure out how to support that but not through you know just cutting checks personally yeah
2: yeah and and there are um i mean you know just realistically um there's so much more charging stations like there used to be the you know the issue of oh well maybe you know we don't want to you know you don't want to get an electric car because you don't have that charging station in close proximity you're gonna you're gonna you know end up uh kind of panicking to to get to a recharge station, but that's different now. Like there's a lot that has improved in that sector, right? Um, okay, I'm looking at the timing and I'm going to skip one of the ones that I had put up here okay. um, and go to probably one of the larger ones that come along with, um, you know, the emissions targets that I covered earlier. So this one is carbon pricing and border carbon adjustments. Uh-huh. We We've heard a lot about carbon pricing. Obviously, we... You know, most of us in the space know what the Liberals plan is, but not all of us maybe understand what the Liberals and the NDP are going to be doing. So let me go through that. Um, The Conservative platform has made its pitch for a carbon pricing system with an initial price for consumers and small businesses, is the key word here, of $20 rising up to $50 by 2030. Instead of a tax return, all funds would be delivered to Canadians and small businesses through a low carbon savings account. And then the Conservative plan also contemplates, but does not commit to at this stage, a carbon price of $170 per tonne for industrial emitters by 2030. So that's actually somewhere more in line with what the Liberals are doing, right? Which I'll I'll come to now. So the Liberals have held to the carbon pricing plan they released at the end of last year, with a carbon price raising to $95 per tonne by 2025 and $170 by 2030. And the NDP proposes to continue the existing policies of the Liberals, liberals uh, but to price in more emissions from industrial emitters under the the uh, output-based pricing framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from a border crossing uh, or carbon perspective, both the NDP and the Conservative platforms also highlight the potential of border carb- carbon adjustments to build out Canada's carbon pricing scheme and crack down on carbon leakage. Hmm. So there's the kind of various reviews. I will call it. Yeah.
1: talk no, As as I listen and I kind of listen to you emphasize that the conservatives are focused on the you know the, the consumer and not not big business. I, I um and again caveat, I'm not a economist by any stretch of the imagination, but it strikes me a little bit like what I think. You know new york state has done with electricity prices where if you're a residential consumer you pay um you know significantly higher dollars per kwh for electricity than you do as a industrial and that allows the industrials for whom those uh, energy bills are a significant portion of the world it allows them to continue to operate and continue to have good paying jobs and continues to drive money back into the uh, local economy Whereas for those of us who have a house, yes, I realize that the rising cost of energy does impact us, but it's, you know, in contrast to a mortgage payment or in contrast to other things, it's not, it's not significant. And so if I'm reading this conservative platform right, I think what they're saying is, you know, we'll focus on residential and consumer and commercial consumption. And we won't focus so much on you know large industrials, and I, I see it kind of aligned to what they've done in New York State, and I kind of like that. I think it's a, mm-hmm. a strategy that allows you know job creation and job sustaining to continue to happen, um, and yet hopefully we'll continue to drive you know behaviors on a distributed front. Um, I, I realize that corporations don't get a vote in a democratic process and the people that live in the houses do that makes it hard but i, I quite like that side of the the, the plan that the, the, the important thing for me is that all of them are up and to the right in terms of pricing right so right, that provides right. some so yes the liberals were way out ahead instead of 170 a ton but as my mother used to say you need the extremes to move the middle and now everybody's moving with them right yeah. so that's predictability, I think, for business. What's
2: really interesting, I won't name the, the client obviously, but Martin and I were at a couple of site visits last week and we asked the client like, you know, what are you thinking about the liberals versus the conservatives, the, the framework, you know, for carbon pricing? And he said, oh, liberals all the way. And mm-hmm. we said, oh, well, that's interesting. Cause I mean, $170 a ton imposed on industrial clients. Like, wow, really? Like what, you know, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your feeling behind that or the reason behind it? And he said one word because it drives innovation. And he's afraid that, you know, unless you have at this stage, because of the so-called climate emergency that we're in, right, like, you know, you see all of the stuff happening, he's afraid that it won't drive enough innovation fast enough. And so he thinks, you know, you set it up high and you make it very aggressive and the industrials, because they're a big part of our systems, you know, in terms of pollution and CO2 emissions – That'll drive innovation faster because it's still going to take a few years for people to get on board and to move things even faster than what it has been moving. Right. So you know, when you think about it from that perspective, I kind of get it. Um, but it will be interesting to see, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, this, this one's this one's a hot, this one's a hot potato, and you know, unfortunately, for all of us involved in the election, none of this stuff you know, is really getting too much play because, you know, we're all talking about protests and we're talking about, you know, vaccines and masks and mandates and all that stuff that, you know, hopefully will be behind us, you know, early on in this next government's term. Right. So uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, was that that was the kind of last big one in the article?
2: That was the last. Well, uh, there was a circular economy, but uh, that's not as big, I think, as the carbon pricing. Right. So for our listeners and those who are interested in checking out the uh, the full article or blog, I should say, rather, um, we will have that posted, of course. So feel free to you know, take a look at that if you want to get uh, some of the finer details of the article.
1: Awesome. That was great. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, really appreciate you leading us through that and an opportunity to talk through some of the topics and we will conclude as always with our face off. And, uh, I think the topic is who will you vote for in the, uh, election? No. Uh, <laughs> <No>. our, <laughs> uh, our ever, our ever present, uh, producer content King Mark Charbonneau is here to lead us through our Facebook, well, fa- uh, through our face off. Welcome
0: Mark. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Um, So, um, face off, we pit you both against each other, whether you agree with your side or not. Um, You just have to come up with some compelling arguments. And I am going to throw a curveball into this one. Um, So, Lisa, don't uh, don't Uh hate me for this. But it is still – the topic is still social media, but it's while running a campaign. So the pros and cons of social media – well, so put yourselves in the position of, like, the politician, I guess – and so you're, you know, you're you're running for government, and uh, how can social media, um, you know, positively or negatively affect your campaign? Huh. So <laughs> you you don't look too happy, Lisa.
1: Well,
2: you know me, I really I really prep for these things, So now you caught me completely off guard. I'm going to be going. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Anyway, <laughs> well, I, I'll I'll find a way to get through it.
0: Hopefully, you can apply the things you were thinking about, um, and you, you and you sort of jot it down to this uh, curveball that I've tossed at you, um. So I've got the, I just flipped and I will let uh, Matt call it. Heads or tails, Matt? Heads. It is tails. Okay. So Lisa. I'll let Matt go first. I'll
2: let Matt go first.
0: Okay. So Matt, pros or cons of uh, social media whilst running your campaign? Uh,
1: I will say, are we saying pros or cons for the candidate or for the voting
0: public? for the, For the use of social media, like so oh, how can see. how can social media positively or negatively affect your campaign? And this could be bonus points, Lisa. If you want to still stick with straight up social media, I will allow that. but uh, bonus but bonus points if you can um, sort of skew it as as you're running a campaign. So All
1: right, well, I will go first, and I will say that um, social media is a net benefit for a campaign. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's the right. I could have gone either way. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a it's a big it, it's a big speakerphone. Right. And um, and so for for the candidate, it's an opportunity to get your message out. It's, it's a big speakerphone, but it's also um, direct dial because, you know, the way social media works, you can tailor your message very narrowly to very specific portions of the population. And so we are about to elect 350 some odd members of parliament here in Canada. So there are 350 geographical ridings, which each have a candidate in them. And each of those ridings are a little bit different. And so, you know, you can, with the social media tools that we have, particularly Facebook, particularly um, yeah, I think Facebook's a big one, maybe Instagram. You know you can get really narrow on where your message shows up. And so, yes, that's a lot of work. Yes, it costs money. Um, but I think you know the ability to get laser focused on who you're targeting it and create different content that aligns with you know different folks. Uh, I think that's really, really important. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of different platforms. You can get written out, you can get video, you can get pictures, you can get audio, all the above. So it's a real good way to get a lot of the message out there. And I think for the voting public, and I'll, I'll pause here, I think for the voting public, you know, social media, it doesn't really change us, it just exposes us. And you know, that, that can cut both ways. But I think it, it gives an opportunity to give a clear picture of who the candidates are, uh, both in your local riding and, and broader. And so I think it's good for, if, if used well for the candidates, because it's a platform and it's a mouthpiece and it's a direct dial, um, you know, wide and narrow. And it's good for the electorate, because it gives us a clear, clearer picture of, of who we're dealing with uh, in real time.
0: Okay. Again, Lisa, I apologize. I'm sure uh, you spent some time, uh, you know, <laughs> no, this. no, no, a little no, no, bit, no. So. It's
2: okay. Don't you worry, Mark. Don't you worry. I'll get you next time.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: okay. So the cons of the bad stuff. Well, I, I loved Matt's word like exposing cause he kind of gave me a little bit of a, a nudge there, right? Like an in, but you know, I think the big issue, uh, you know, when you're running a campaign um, that that's negative is, not everything can be deleted like you you, you kind of hope that it can be de- deleted especially if you put something out there that you don't really want um i'm just i think of people like donald trump right or you think of some of the celebrities okay this is not you know uh, running a campaign necessarily but they say things they don't mean to say and all of a sudden bam it's out there right and there's a lot of negative attention i think of you know Doug Ford. I think of, you know, I, I think of a lot of the negative attention and the fact that sometimes things can get blown way out of proportion. And I mean, look at the COVID situation is a great example, whether it's vaccines or we're talking about masks, we're talking about this, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I think you when you're running a campaign, you want it to be precise. You want people to understand what your views are, what you're fighting for and, you know, everything else around that. And sometimes that can be Taken wrongly and blown out of proportion in 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 a direction you don't really want it to take. So I think that's you know probably one of the the biggest things. Um, It's it can also be a little bit of an invasion for privacy too, right? Like when you think about. You know, if I was if I was out there, I'm running a campaign and, you know, you know, news stations are right in my face all the time and there's a lot of pressure put on you. So, like, it's a good thing in the sense that you get that exposure, but at the same time, that exposure can be bad because, you know, maybe I don't have makeup on that day or I don't know, maybe I, you know, I just I'm just not my best and it's going to get exposed regardless. Right. Um, Can I think of anything else?
1: To, while you're thinking to that last point, I think I think there's an implied waiver of privacy when you run for public office. <laughs> I think in Today's day and age, you, you got to know that, you know, it's going to be out there. Uh, yeah. So it's,
0: things often um, get taken out of context, too. Like you were saying, like you, they take snippets of what you've said and, say, and make it and spin it and make it something that it actually wasn't. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I'll I think I'll leave it there, but I'll, for bonus points. Uh, I'll talk about, you know, some of the cons that I think just are generally uh, thought about with social media. And I think the biggest issue that I have um, is more so with youth that are on social media. The, you know, the fact that I can, you know, maybe pre-COVID, but I would sit in a coffee shop, for example, and I would see, you know, four or five or six kids around across, you know, across a, or around a coffee table. And they're all on their phones. They're not talking to one another. And so I I and I and that's just been further amplified of course with COVID and you know everything else that kind of goes along with that. So I that piece I don't like. And the other piece I really don't like about social media is the and this could be this could be with women, this could be with young boys, this could be just you know generally speaking across the board, but the effects that it can have on people's mental state, you know the depression, the comparisons, how many likes did I get, like that sort of thing. And then the third thing I will say is it can be a complete drain on time. Um, you know, I personally, and I'm not just saying this to get some, as uh, as we say, K-A for the listeners won't understand that, but Matt will understand what K-A means. Uh, I'm not just saying this because to get Matt uh, to to get some uh, um, kiss don't ass, wait. basically,
0: <laughs>
2: with, with Matt. But I don't even look at social media during the day while I'm at work because it's completely distracting. So I look at it like literally at like 30, 9 o'clock at night, it's, you know once a day and that's it um yeah. because i do find it's a big time sap so i yeah. rambled on quite a bit there but those are my views there you go mark yeah
0: I, I agree though especially with the dinner stuff when we go out for dinner we have a rule even with my wife and i there's no phones no and especially with the kids and at home as well obviously we're saying it's a dinner table there's zero screen zero anything allowed ever right that's just like our sort of golden rule so ok. So this is a tough one for me because um I obviously use social media quite a bit. but uh, <laughs> I, I honestly I honestly think, especially even for campaigns, I think um, it, after I think that it actually does less good um, uh, when running a campaign only this day and age. but I mean, it shouldn't, but um, so I think I'm going to have to go with Lisa for this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, just because all the smear campaigns, that's the one thing I can't stand is the half of them spend more time um, saying what the other candidate does wrong than what they, sh- they plan on doing right. And it's more smear campaigns and more just filling your head with garbage than it is trying to propose what they're going to do right. Anyways, that's what I that's my experience. So, um, yeah. That's all I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> well, me and my buddy, me and my buddy Gary, are taking issue with uh, your guys' stance on social media. Gary Vaynerchuk, for those who aren't informed, but uh, yeah, good, good debate. I, I think it's, you know, it, it is a tool uh, of our modern day, and like any other tool, you know, you could build a house or you can kill somebody with the same tool, and yeah. so uh, I think that the same is true for social media. So. yeah. Well, um, for those who are eligible to vote, uh, get out and vote on the uh, 21st, right, of September?
2: I feel like it's the 20th, but I could be wrong, actually. I should double check that. I feel like it's the 20th.
1: Let's let's double check that while we're still on. So we we don't want to have fake news uh, go out (laughs) on this channel. Um, but if, as my American friends say, go out vote early, vote often. Uh, I was I was reminded of that yesterday. Uh, but thank you both for your contributions and a uh, good debate, thank you, Lisa for walking us through all those different policies and uh, either people who listen had fun or are more educated uh, as a result of this uh, time together. And Mark,
0: what is the date? Uh, September 20th does look like voting
1: day. Voting okay. day, September 20th yep. Get out there and vote if you can. Uh, Vote early, vote often, and and, uh, get educated ahead of time. Thank you both. Have a great long weekend. It's Labor Day up here, and uh, rest up. Back to school on Tuesday. Can't wait. See you guys. Yay. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye, everybody.